All right, welcome back everyone to another episode of Timeout Talk. We're your hosts, Rafael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And we're a bit late on this, but the NBA season has finally concluded. We've crowned a new champion. The Denver Nuggets have won the NBA Finals in five games. Like to mention, I got that prediction right, but, yes. but nevertheless, um, you know, it's, hey, it's look, it's, I was only a game off. Yeah, we both predicted the champion correctly, so we got to yeah. get some credit there. But it was a great season overall, and definitely a lot to talk about with these finals. Um, so yeah, let's just break, uh, jump right into it, and just get like a high level discussion of how you thought these finals played out. Um, what were some of the the key um, moments for you, maybe some of the standout performances and yeah, what were your just general thoughts about these NBA finals hunter? Yeah. I mean, this was honestly a good one to watch. I think some of these games weren't close, but especially game five, that felt like a real NBA finals game. I felt there, there were a few too many games that were like 10, 11, 13 point leads. Uh, but for the most part, I thought this was a very successful finals to not too small markets. Cause Miami is still a fairly big market, but you have the Denver Nuggets, who are a small market team, never won, facing the Miami Heat, who, you know, it's not the typical Knicks, Lakers, Celtics, you know what I mean. So it was just a, a very refreshing NBA Finals to see. And, you know, people were talking about, oh, ratings, ratings, ratings. This was the most viewed postseason in the last five years. So obviously yeah. it was very successful. And, the, I mean, this was also a very watched Finals. This was more watched in the bubble. This was more watched in the the 2021 finals. Uh, and I believe this might have like tied last year's finals and Warriors Celtics are two of the biggest franchises. And these franchises who are seemed deemed more smaller market teams were able to match those same ratings. So I think that that's definitely a false narrative that people had, mm-hmm. but getting more into the actual play, uh, there were definitely some times where I wanted it to be closer. I think yeah. the nuggets were just clearly a superior team. And, also, the Heat had been on such a hot streak throughout this postseason, like literally shooting like 47% from the three. That was unsustainable, and at some point that was going to collapse, and it yeah. just collapsed a few games short of them winning in you know, a championship. So, I mean, just credit to both teams. Uh, and I'd say those are my overall thoughts to start, and then we can deep dive a little bit into more of the game-by-game breakdown. But what are your initial thoughts on this general finals? I mean, to be completely honest, I was really excited for this matchup. I thought that these were obviously the two best like performing teams this uh, postseason. I thought that you know you have Miami's fluid ball movement, three point shooting, uh, powered by you know an unreal next level performance from Jimmy Butler going up against the hottest team in the playoffs. You know Nikola Jokic playing uh, otherworldly. Jamal Murray obviously you know, liable to go off any single game. And just, like, the depth and just pure solid nature of the Nuggets, I thought would have been a great matchup. But I was a little disappointed how it actually played out. I mean, it felt like this was never a competitive series. It felt like uh, Denver was always in the driver's seat. Uh, besides that game two sort of hiccup where Miami was able to steal one on the road and hand Denver their first home loss and only home loss the entire playoffs, I thought that Jimmy Butler – like had a terrible series. I thought that he really underperformed and that's people are not talking about that enough. I think that, you know, they give him his flowers and they uh, laud him when he is performing like he did in the the Bucks series in the first round. But, you know, when he plays below far below expectations um, like he did in the series, people aren't talking about it enough. 
And conversely, Bam Adebayo was playing incredibly. Like, this is the Bam Adebayo that we talk about all the time, like, we need to see, you know, him being aggressive, him driving to the basket, him not settling for shots, him being physical, getting to the free throw line. We saw all of that this finals. And him doing the best job he could defending Nikola Jokic, which is no small feat. Um, and then, yeah, uh, uh, just furthermore, like, for Miami, I, I kind of agree with what you said. They kind of ran out of steam at the worst possible moment. Like, the role players that had been so big for them throughout the uh, throughout this run, like Caleb Martin in the last round or Max Struess, just kind of disappeared, didn't really have the same sort of impact. And that's partially due to um, Denver's defense, which was, you know, very, very consistent throughout these playoffs at locking down um, – you know, shooters like that, but it's also just, you know, missing shots and not playing as well as you could. So I thought this was an okay finals um, compared to like the previous years. Honestly, it's, it's probably going to be, they, they've all sort of been in the same general, like, okay category. I, I think, think this is a forgotten finals. Definitely. I think that people are going to remember this finals as a historic run powered by, you know, like, Nikola Jokic, who this is going to be an all-time playoff perform, like playoff run that people are going to reference. But I agree. I don't think there's any like really memorable moments or or memorable series in general um, that people are going to remember, especially yeah, when in the you, finals. When you look at this Nuggets team, it's very reminiscent of the beginning of the Spurs dynasty, centered around a big man who's kind of. Uh, you know, under the radar, unselfish, but still the most one of the most dominant players in the game, if not the best player in the league. That, that, mm. that being for the Spurs and Tim Duncan, um, you know, with also a, a, a very good guard complement to him, uh, in Manu Ginobili, uh, or, and also Tony Parker, of course. And then you know, just a very quiet guy who was have a ton of attention from the media. They play basketball the right way. Uh, good role players, and I think that's definitely the mold that this team fits into uh and you know we we could see the beginning of a formation of a dynasty um i i wasn't really big on that trend and i'm still not going to jump to that level yet but this is a very good team and they have the years of experience together and in the nba today you know this that seems to be one of the most important things because we've seen the super teams time and time again fail due to lack of chemistry lack of good role players and just lack of situational experience together yes, and teams yes. teams like this don't crumble when something goes wrong because they've been there before exactly uh, think of how many playoff runs we've seen you know Jokic have with these guys how many regular season games Jokic and Murray have played together and you know how that core was able to build experience I think an underrated aspect of the regular season that not a lot of people talk about is you get that ex- just raw experience playing together which builds chemistry so when you're in situations down the stretch, you have experience, you have moments you can reference before, even if it was in the regular season. The For, Miami Heat as well. I mean, we, yeah, exactly. they're in the same boat. Yeah. I mean, Miami was in the finals just three years ago. So, you know, they were a team that had a lot of experience in these crunch time, high pressure situations, which I think really helped them. Uh, I mean, they were how many 10 plus point comebacks did they have? this playoffs, I think it was like above seven or something like that. Ridiculous. Um, I I did want to talk Mm -hmm. about for the nuggets about just playing it the right way in the era of the super teams, we've seen Denver construct a team and construct a system in the 
right way, like the, the best possible way you could hope for, right? They, they brought in a coach like seven years ago, allowed him to develop a system, to develop a culture um, in Michael Malone. And we saw how that, you know, paid its dividends. We saw them get a bunch of homegrown guys and Jokic and Murray, guys that got not through, you know, big free agency moves or, you know, massive blockbuster trades, but just through pure player development and through good scouting and good drafting. Um, and then we saw them make the necessary moves at the deadline, not, you know, doing these huge moves to bring in a superstar like we've seen with the Lakers bringing in Russell Westbrook or Phoenix bringing in Kevin Durant, but bringing in guys around the periphery, KCP, Aaron Gordon, guys like that who could really help Bruce them. Brown the edges. really Bruce helped Brown, as well. For sure. All these guys had huge moments. I mean, what, game four, um, the Nuggets, like, it was Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown that won them that game. How many yeah. moments they had more did we points, see? They had yeah, more points than Bam and Jimmy combined between Bruce yeah. Brown and Aaron Gordon. You're never going to win if you're the Miami Heat and two role players from the team have more points than your superstars. And I was very big on the – I think the Miami Heat are deeper. I think mm-hmm. they have better role players – not better role players. I think they have more role players than the the. Uh, the Nuggets do. And I think I still stand by that statement that they have more guys who can come into the rotation and give you meaningful minutes. But I think I was proven wrong by the fact that the Nuggets clearly had far superior role players as far yes. as how much they could contribute. And they they only needed three or four of them. You don't need six, seven guys who can contribute to an NBA game when your rotation is only seven guys deep in game five of the NBA finals. But here's the thing with Denver. I mean, like, I think they were like more deep than even I had thought. Like yeah. Christian Brown, Dre- had, Jeff Green. Yeah, Jeff Green was giving them valuable minutes. And look, we clown on him a lot, but DeAndre Jordan played like five minutes in Game Five, and all those five minutes were a net positive for the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying like this is a very deep team, um, and I think that they're only going to get deeper. Obviously, there's going to be some key. Um, there's going to be some key decisions in free agency. I think the biggest one is Bruce Brown. I'm pretty sure he's a free agent and they're going to do everything they can to bring him back. Because as you were saying, he was so integral for them um, throughout these playoffs. But I mean, most of this core is basically sticking together and they're under contract. Christian Brown is only going to get better. Um, Obviously Jokic is going to keep doing Jokic things. And yeah, I think the Nuggets are in a really good position coming in the next season, there doesn't really seem uh, to be outside of maybe the Milwaukee Bucks, a clear, um, a clear other favorite or contender for the title. It seems like the Nuggets are sitting pretty firmly in that throne for now. Yeah. I think there's a lot of teams who have question marks around them coming into this off season. All the best teams are definitely having struggles right now. Teams you typically see up there. The Warriors have big question marks because they can't pay all their guys. The Phoenix Suns will get into their whole mess right now. Yeah. Uh, the the Lakers, you know, who knows with the Lakers? They're, they're kind of just going to be injured. As and and Lakers are just a ticking clock, man. Like, exactly. it, it sucks to say, but LeBron is not getting younger. And as he gets up, like, the injuries are going to pile up and the performance, mm-hmm. like, the level of performance is just going to keep declining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you never know what the Lakers front office is going to make some boneheaded decision to try and go after another star. But, of course. You, you know, but there's plenty of other teams you can look at. The Celtics, who's what's going to happen with Jalen Brown? We don't know exactly. if he's going to request a trade or just try to get out of his situation. Um, 
the, every single team that you'd expect to be at the top right now is kind of having a big issue. And the only two that seem to be stable. Oh, I mean, I didn't even mention the Sixers as well. James Harden. He might go to Houston. Yeah. You know, that's another yeah. big deal. The only two teams that are really stable, I'd say, are the Nuggets and the Bucks. And maybe you can include the the Kings in there if you want to say the Kings are legit. But that's the thing, like we we like the Nuggets and the Bucks have a proven track record, right? They have back to back MVPs leading them. The Kings, they're a team that you can. St- I think it's still valid to be suspect about. You know, they some could say that's like a bit of a fluky run they had last year. Like, who knows if they they'll be able to replicate it? Maybe teams find them out. Maybe you know that feel good story starts to fall apart once they encounter some adversity, or just like the way that their playoff um hopes or their championship hopes ended last year um in that game seven where they sort of just went outside but yeah it really seems like the nuggets and the bucks are the two clear favorites for next season um pending any free agency moves and it's it's kind of crazy how every single teams that like was in that conversation seems to now be in flux and you don't really know which way they're going to go even a team like the clippers i mean I feel like they're perpetually in this state where we just don't know if they're going to be healthy or not. Um, and it just seems like we're never going to get that again, where we have a healthy PG and a healthy Kawhi playing together, competing for an NBA championship. Yeah. Is this their last year on contract together? I, I believe this is the last year. I think so. I yeah. Think so. so, I mean, this was most likely just going to blow up in the Clippers' faces and they're going to have nothing left to show for it. After tra- trading away Shea Gilders Alexander, that's showing to be quite the horrible decision and that's what i'm saying okay this is uh something that i'm gonna say right now do not be surprised next season if because all these teams are kind of in disarray and maybe lacking some direction right now and what and where they want to go don't be surprised if one of these young teams like an okc thunder okc would be the one to think of spurs no way the spurs no 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 i'm saying just just listen like I'm thinking one of these young teams that's hungry, that has a bit of an emerging identity, like the teams I just mentioned. If they make a run and make the playoffs, like I think OKC would be that team for sure. And I don't think that's out of the cards. They were just on the cusp of the play-in this year. Sure, sure. But even out east, like a team like the Orlando Magic, right? Don't be surprised if they end up as like a seven seed. Even like I think that the NBA somehow, like I, I think last season we were talking about it being like the most competitive it's ever been. Somehow I feel like we've get, gone to the inverse. We're now like everything is so jumbled up that it's kind of wide open for any team to sort of, you know, sneak their way into the playoffs now. Yeah. I, I've seen title lists like with title favorite odds, um, like according to the, you know, the talking heads, obviously these are talking heads. They're just trying to get something out of people. I've seen OKC in people's top five lists to win the finals. And obviously that's a ridiculous take, but the point being, there is not 10 or 15 teams ahead that you take of OKC to win the finals because there's so many question marks. Right. Even a, even a team like Portland, right? You have yeah. no idea what direction they're going to go in. Are they going to draft Scoot? Are they going to move that number three pick to bring in another guy to try and help Dame compete for a championship? I've seen you know names like Kristaps Porzingis thrown around. Uh, obviously, Bradley Beal is a big guy that everyone is talking about right now because Washington is – trying to help him find a new home. But you just don't know really what team Damian Lillard is going to play on, where Bradley Beal is going to go. And that just leads to a lot of movement and a lot of disorder. And so pretty exciting as like a fan just following all this. But 
you got to wonder like how the NBA landscape is going to shape next year. Yeah, this isn't a great free agency class. There's a few guys. There's obviously Kyrie Irving, James Harden. Um, then you have more role player guys like Jeremy Grant, Brooke Lopez. Um, who am I but, missing? Hey, look, but, uh, those role look, players are really important. You know. Yeah, no, there's some great role players in here. But what I was getting to was I think there's going to be a lot more movement on on the trade side of things this year than there will be in the free agency side of things to shake up the league. Which is crazy because last year we saw some of the most ridiculous trades of like the past five years. I mean, Kevin yeah, and we Durant thought that was moved. the craziest thing. Kyrie Irving got moved, and you know, like names we like. I just keep thinking of names like Dallas. Like, what are they doing next year? Are they going to try and retain Kyrie Irving? Are they trying to move on from that? Are Their they name, and... the names so, they've been looking after. They're in ties with Grant Williams right now. Uh, to to be pursuing Grant Williams, retain Kyrie Irving, and go after defensive players. That is the direction uh, that's reported of them. I right do now. like I do like that fit with Grant Williams there. I think you know if the Mavericks were able to get a Grant Williams, a Brook Lopez, and somehow keep Kyrie Irving, I think they would be in great shape. But even if they were just to get those two players in Williams and Lopez, I think you know they would be in a much much better um, shape just fit wise going into next year than just purely keeping Kyrie. Yeah. I, I wanted to shift back. We kind of got away from the NBA Finals, but I sure. think there was some yeah. stuff we still had to talk about there. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Heat for a second because mm-hmm. you touched on it, but I really wanted to dive into it. Jimmy Butler's subpar performance. I mean, the highest scoring game he had was 25 points. That is unacceptable yeah. for Jimmy Butler. And Bam Adebayo had a great series, averaged 25 or sorry, 22, 12, and 3 on good efficiency. And look like the best Heat player. And all all postseason, we've been talking, Bam Adebayo has been horrible. He's the X factor. If he starts playing well, they're going to dominate. And then Jimmy mm. Butler, out of nowhere, stops performing. So yeah, what wh- what do you take away from that? And how do we get these two guys to be playing at their peak at the same time? I think, I mean, yeah, we, we just got to admit, Jimmy Butler, if you chart his performance based off of like what round of the playoffs they're in it's literally like a straight line downwards right it's got a negative slope there like uh, i'll just read off some numbers right first round he averages 38 points per game on 60 percent efficiency like unbelievable numbers second round 25 on 43 percent efficiency 25 in the conference finals on 42 percent efficiency and then the NBA Finals, 17 points on like 39% efficiency. So it's it's a clear line downwards, and mm-hmm. it's unfortunate to see. I think that, you know, we have to give a lot of credit to Aaron Gordon. He was the guy that was defending Jimmy Butler most of the time, and he was really proving his worth this playoffs, not only on the offensive end as a guy who can be physical and bang down low, but as a guy who can defend those bigger wing players. He was the guy guarding Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Anthony Edwards, like these kinds of guys throughout the entire playoffs. And he did a phenomenal job. So really just proved his worth. But yeah, I think Jimmy Butler, I think his problem is just like, I don't know. I I really think he needs to get his, his shot right. You know, when Jimmy Butler was at his best, in my opinion, was when his three ball was elite. And he could just make that whenever he wanted because that unlocked the floor for him. I think Jimmy Butler's at his best when he gets to his mid range or when he gets to, you know, driving to the cup. But when his when he's just scared and, and reluctant to shoot that three, it just limits the floor. And especially when his role players aren't hitting their threes, because then that means, like, 
he can't create for himself. And when he tries creating for others, the shots just don't fall, which leads yeah. to a very stagnant offense. It seemed like every possession he was driving, getting blocked, stopping, and then holding the ball in the lane while trying to find a way out. And there was some movement on the perimeter. And then somebody gets the ball with five seconds left, and they either have to chuck up a shot or pass it to someone else to chuck up a shot. And that was a lot of the Heat's offense when Jimmy Butler had the ball, which, to be fair, give credit, like you said, to Aaron Gordon, to the defense that Mike Malone set up to make sure that Jimmy Butler didn't have open lanes to the basket. But at the same time, if you're the Heat, you can't just fall into that trap over and over and over again. And bam, out of bio, he stepped up. He said, "We're not. I'm not going to let this happen. And he got in Jokic's chest. He got the ball, you know, straight up into the basket. He took some mid-range jumpers and they were successful. Like he did what he was supposed to do. But why can't that happen while Jimmy Butler is also doing the things he's supposed to do? And obviously the, the Nuggets were kind of just letting Bam out of bio. They were like, okay, we'll take a good Bam out of bio game over a good Jimmy Butler game. But mm. I still don't understand if I'm the Heat, why can't I find a way to allow Bam Adebayo to flourish and have a 22 and 12 game while still letting Jimmy Butler have, let's say, 38 and five? Because I think that's possible. It very much, yeah, it definitely should be. And I think that's a big disappointment for Miami this year that they were able to get so close because, I mean, it's it's hard for me to see this sort of run being replicated again. I don't know. I. I might just be perpetually down on Miami, but this run just feels like an overperformance in every you know sense of the word. I mean, how often are you going to see Caleb Martin looking like prime Michael Jordan against the Boston Celtics? I don't think very frequently, right? I think that what's replicable is Bam Adebayo playing very well, Jimmy Butler playing very well, and maybe you know some of these role players hitting their shots. But I think the level of performance we saw from some of these guys um, just isn't really like replicable, or at the I mean, very don't forget. least, even sorry, even if you think they can play to this level, there's no way that Miami's able to keep all these guys. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't forget though, in Game Six of that that Celtic series, they almost won. That was they were a Derek White tip in, just madness away from winning in six. That didn't have to go to a Game Seven. So I I do think this is replicable. We've seen time and time again. NBA Finals, Conference Finals, Conference Finals, NBA Finals. That's four in a row of it, at the very least getting to the Conference Finals. And every single year, they're the underdog. At some point, we have to stop calling Miami the underdog and say they're a very good team. And they just don't have that last piece to get them over the hump, which I think could be Bradley Beal. Okay, can I can I ask you one question before maybe we jump into the Bradley? Actually, mm-hmm. before we jump into talking a little bit more about the Denver Nuggets, specifically, I want to talk about Nikola Jokic. But... Yeah. Um, I have to ask, game five, it was reported that Tyler Hero was available to play, and Eric yeah. Spolster made the decision to not play him at all that, that game. I mean, what did you – I personally thought that he should have gotten some run, especially down the stretch when the Heat's offense was looking stagnant. They needed a shot creator, and I thought Tyler Hero could – was at least worth a try for a few minutes, see how it functioned, right? What did you think of the decision from Eric Spolster to not play Tyler Hero in that game five? Look, I'm not mad at the decision. There could be a lot of things going on. It could be, hey, maybe Tyler Hero in the in shoot around, we look we watched how he was shooting and we just didn't like it. You know? There's there's a lot of factors that go into it. We could be like, oh, he's just not hitting his shots like he usually does. He doesn't look the same as usual. Oh, maybe his hand's bothering him still a little bit, or his wrist is bothering him on, on his shot still. And we don't want to expose him to the NBA finals. We don't want to take that risk. 
especially when this is a do or die situation. We trust the guys who have, who got us here. And yeah. I, I can respect that mentality. And if they hadn't played, you know, uh, Tyler Hero and they'd won the game by two points or a point. I mean, this was a close game down to a minute left. I mean, the somehow the Nuggets just pulled away off of, I believe it was Aaron Gordon and Jamal Murray who just put, put the game away. But, I mean, this was a really close game the entire time. And I don't really think there was a moment where if I'm Eric Spolster, I say, I need to put Tyler Hero on right now. We have the chance. Just Let's just try something different. I mean, I agree normally. Like, definitely you want to trust the guys that got you there. But, you know, when you just can't get anything to fall and, you know, nothing is kind of working right for you, I think that it's worth a shot giving your third best player who's coming back from injury at least a few minutes, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's now it's just going to be like a what if, you know? What if Tyler Hero played? What if he made just a couple threes when they couldn't buy anything? So, I don't know. I, I think that Tyler Hero is going to always be a bit of a – what if, especially in the context of this playoff run, because he was out, um, even a guy like Victor Oladipo, like what if they just had his offensive uh, shot creation? Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, but I, I just did want to shift topics real quick to talk about the Denver Nuggets um, and talk about the finals MVP, Nicole Jokic. We just witnessed one of the most dominant playoff runs in recent memory from a single player. Um and it looked so casual. Like, I don't think Nikola Jokic ever looked like he struggled throughout this playoff run. And the way he was talking in the media about, like, you know, it's just basketball, like that sort of stuff. It was one of the most low-key dominant performances in recent memory. So, I mean, just speak a little bit about what this playoff run sort of was like for you to witness and, and just sort of how it fits within the larger context of NBA playoff performances. Yeah, I mean, this is going to go down as, like, one of the most legendary postseason performances. I mean, 10 triple-doubles in the in the postseason is just ridiculous. And none of them were stat-padding. None of them were like, a, oh, this is just, like, he's trying to inflate his stats a little bit. These were all just pure basketball, you know, just flow of the offense kind of decisions. And the nonchalant nature that Jokic has about everything, it's so incredible. It's infuriating as just a, a fan of the game, but it's also like I'm very happy for him at the same time. It's infuriating because yeah. I want I want to see some some fire, some some passion out of the guy. But at the same time, it's kind of funny to just see that it's almost like he's a troll of the NBA, you know? He's just like, oh, yeah. I'm kind of just good at basketball and I just live my daily life and this is just my job. Like, I feel like every other superstar, like, it's kind of like the NBA is their life and that's their passion. That's what mm-hmm. they live for. And Jokic, which it, it's not a bad thing. I, I just think it's just different. It's, yeah. Jokic lives for his his life back at home and then plays basketball for his money. Yeah, and I think this is something Paul George has talked about a little bit. It's like some guys just don't love basketball. It's a job for them. You know, mm-hmm. they treat it like a nine to five. And I think Nikola Jokic is like the most glaring example of that because he is like the best player in the world and also doesn't love the game or at least doesn't seem to. Um, but yeah, it is a very like dark contrast. You know, you're never going to see Nikola Jokic like crying over like a win or anything. He kind of treats all the games the same. He treats it exactly at, as you would treat a job that you're not really passionate about, you'll show up, you're, you'll do your job. You know, if you get a workplace award, you'll, you'll be happy, but it's not like, 
it's not what you're most passionate about in your life. It's not what gives you meaning. It's not your drive to wake up in the morning. I think it's I a think very the, different, but I don't okay. agree. I agree. It's not yeah. like necessarily a bad thing. I think the finals photo that they took once after they won the game is the most telling story of, you know, of his emotions. I mean, you see it's Mike Malone is holding the Bill Russell finals MVP trophy next to Jamal Murray, who's kissing the NBA finals trophy. And, you know, all the guys, the the starters and everyone's together in the front. You know, you got like your Thomas Bryant, your Ish Smith, your, your DeAndre Jordan in the back. And then Nikola Jokic is just standing next to like Ish Smith in the back with, you know, his kid on his shoulders. It's just very <laughs> telling of what he cares about in his life, celebrating with his family, with his brothers, his wife, his child. Um, and, you know, that he's like, whatever, the finals MVP trophy, like, you know, I'll let coach have it. He can go sit down in the middle. Yeah. The no, one I'm... thing I wish is I, I do wish we got some emotion, like when he won the finals. Like, I just wish there was like a, we did it, all this work I've put in over the year. Kind of like, I don't know, as a fan, I think it helps to, see the emotion see because we we don't see the day-to-day of yeah. what these guys put in we can imagine it but we can't truly understand how much really goes into a full year and there's only one week or one little stretch that you have a chance to prove yourself to the world almost yeah and, and I- that culminates in something very big and it's not like a joke to him but it just it's just something he doesn't care about and as a fan it's hard for me to put myself in his shoes and be like, wow, this means so much because he doesn't care. Right. And I think that like I was saying, it's not a bad thing because obviously you can't force the guy to be like, be more emotional, be more passionate. Like he's just going to live his life. And if he happens to be the best player in the world, like so be it. But I do agree. It does lend itself to creating this like underwhelming aura surrounding the NBA finals. Like I think in general, like the coverage for this finals didn't feel as like, grand or epic as like the past few finals you know think about how like the media was hyping up this celtics warriors matchup last year right you had like you know the the historic greatness of the boston celtics powered by a young superstar jason tatum finally making it to the nba finals against like the old guard now like the the warriors running it back the last dance kind of deal and then when you're watching the game you have their like logos and sort of uh, encrusted in gold. In gold and like yeah why didn't know, they do that this NBA finals and then this this matchup was just like <laughs> yeah the Nuggets and the Heat they're playing for the, the championship and they had you know the regular scorecard and everything it just and then they're like really and now feel- for bigger news John Morant <laughs> yeah yeah I felt like the John Morant suspension news was really honestly sometimes a bigger story than the finals itself which is absurd to say um, I so I think that's partly a failure due to the NBA and the media but also, you know, having a very low-key, unassuming kind of superstar in Nikola Jokic doesn't really help. Yeah, uh, it, it's hard for me to say. I also think they didn't try. Like you're saying, they didn't put like the NBA um, Finals trophy in the middle of the court. They didn't encrust the logos in gold. Like there's just little things that they could have done to make it feel a little bit more grand. And they just didn't. And it wouldn't have Literally, cost them any more money either. Literally. You the only way you could tell us that NBA Finals as opposed to a regular season game is due to a little tiny like label at the bottom right of the scorecard that just says like NBA Finals. That doesn't really 
like yeah. you know doesn't really help there um yeah so i i mean you just gotta imagine like imagine this was lakers celtics finals like the amount of media hype and just like how much they would be promoting and grandizing this like matchup so i think that's like really a big failure on the nba's part yeah absolutely i don't think they did a good job of marketing the smaller teams and i think in the future, like we had just talked about, you could see these teams like the Magic, OKC, just like random teams popping up and they're they're good or at the very least in the postseason. And what's the NBA going to do when all these teams who were typically big market teams who are struggling because, you know, they had bad off seasons? You know, what, what are they going to do when those teams aren't the top seeds, when when they're kind of struggling, when they're at the bottom of the standings and years to come, when their superstars fade away? You know, that's yeah. going to happen one day. And, and the NBA needs to be able to market these smaller teams just like they market the big teams, and they've failed at that. I think the the biggest problem with the NBA is has been and will always be that it's a star-driven league. So when you don't have the stars attached to the matchups, it's hard to generate the same hype, right? Imagine if next year, right, or in the next few years, we get an OKC versus Orlando matchup, right? They're going to promote, like, the, 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 they were going to promote like Shea Gilgis Alexander versus Paolo Bancaro or, or whatever it ends up being. But, you know, it really should be about like the teams as a whole and the, and the cultures and the story and how they got here, right? But mm-hmm. it's never going to be that because the NBA is just so driven by the drama and the stars and the movement. That's why, like, you know, the NBA talk shows always get so much um, or spend so much airtime discussing superstar trades. And, and just, like, they live off of that instead of actually talking about basketball. Yeah. I mean, I want to go back to this uh, finals just for a second. And it's in the same topic. But I know it's unrealistic. But swap the scenario. The Heat win in five games. Let's just, you know, somehow, some reason the Nuggets just don't work. The Heat win in five games. We still have the same kind of boring storyline. But Jimmy Butler absolutely breaks down. Like, he's gassed. He's a good series, let's say. And mm-hmm. he just is on the court like LeBron, like, you know, in Cleveland. Like, he's just on yeah. the floor, like, crying. He's so happy. This is the best moment of his life. Michael Jordan comes and picks him up and says, I always knew you were my son, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, like, but you get the point. Like, that feels, like, so much better. And that's I, – I totally love that the Nuggets won, and I give them all their flowers. They did so good. Nikola Jokic deserves everything he's getting. But as far as the viewing experience as a fan, for most people, and even for big fans of the NBA, seeing some, there's something about seeing the best player on a team who's put in all the work just break down on the court. Or not even necessarily break down, but just show emotion. Just, I like, you know, like, I did it. I agree. I mean, I think that, that there's a reason why, like, LeBron when he won in Cleveland Kobe. after making history. Kobe's yeah, a perfect Kobe, example. When he's like standing on the score table, you know, like cheering. Like even Patrick are... Beverly. We remember Patrick Beverly in the freaking uh, you know, whatever, the play-in standing on the <laughs> table. We don't remember it because it was a good game. We remember it because he showed emotion and it was funny. And yeah, it's yeah. funny in that moment, but like it, well, it was it's funny memorable. considering, yeah, it was that was funny because it was in the playing game, not because he was actually showing emotion. Yeah, I know, I, but, but I but agree. It's still, it always you like, still remember it, it. It it creates more gravity, like or it just yeah creates a, a greater sense of weight to these matchups when you know the players 
care. You know, but that goes back to marketability as well. You know, yeah. So I think that's how, where, where it goes back to people being like, oh, Jokic, this finals wasn't very good, blah, 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 blah. I think it was still a very successful finals. Agreed. I agree. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's hard because I think the Nuggets, specifically Jokic, made it a little bit hard to appreciate their, their victory. Yeah. I also I think mean, when you look at guys in the past, like we compare Jokic to Tim Duncan as far as temperament a lot. Tim Duncan still would cheer and he'd break down in tears and he would show emotion. He cared about basketball still. You know, yeah. like I th- there was His still game just wasn't very flashy. Exactly. That's, that's exactly. Difference. I don't think there's ever been a guy who has done what Jokic has done. And again, I don't think this should be like we're not bashing Jokic or anything like that. I just think mm-hmm. we're, we're stating the differences. It's an observation, yeah. And I think that like you can't bash a guy for not like being fully passionate about something especially if he's doing his job he won the finals he won the finals mvp he was on a historic tear it's just like i agree it does sort of diminish the viewing experience i think that's the best way to sort of encapsulate this because sport is all about like these stories and the emotion behind it i think you know we talk about march madness all the time it's like being so inherently emotional it's like a lot of these guys last time ever playing basketball at a really competitive level there's so much riding on the line and, and the emotions kind of carry that uh through and that lends itself there's such greater stakes right a buzzer beater isn't just like a shot to win the game it's a shot to end someone's whole season a shot to end some guy's whole career and that le- like the sheer emotion and weight behind that just makes it so much more compelling as a viewing experience. Can you imagine in March Madness if, you know, some guy sings a crazy buzzer beater and everyone just kind of walks off like, okay, whatever, like I have homework to do or something like that. <laughs> like it, w- it wouldn't really like, it wouldn't really mean as much and nobody yeah. would really be invested at the same extent. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also a difference between being cel- like cold-blooded as well. There's guys who are cold-blooded, just stone cold-faced. Like, you know, like the the Damian Lillard shot, right? Like every, yeah. against against the Thunder. That is also another way you can celebrate, just by showing no emotion. But I I don't think it's the same way Jokic shows no emotion. Yeah, there's a difference between like being intentionally sort of like composed and sort of like acting like you've been there before, um, versus a sort of like apathy or just like a, a lack of care. Like you never once doubt that Damian Lillard, like doesn't care about or cares about basketball like you you know he cares about basketball and you know that winning is something that's on the forefront of his mind every single day but yeah you can't really say the same about Nikola Jokic yeah but you know who cares because he won you know <laughs> right yeah like in some sense say... he... oh, oh, sorry, go, go ahead on. no no go I'll... ahead okay I was just gonna say like just speaking of Jokic and maybe this is the last thing we can say before we move on I, I think that, you know, obviously this, like, jettisons him far up in the sort of all-time center rankings. But let's slow our roll here a little bit. People are talking about him as, like, a top five, top three center all-time. Like, Not yet. we got to relax. Like, he is definitively top ten right now, maybe even, like, top eight. But, you know, there's a whole heck of a lot of guys I would put in front of him. Um, and it's it's real difficult to try to make it up there in the all-time center um, rankings just because that's such a historically loaded position. You know? Yeah, real quick, I would just, I know we didn't have this on the, the chart, but let's 
talk who do you have above Jokic right now as far as your all-time big great centers okay if, if, if you don't have a list ready i can kind of go to start sure i'll just sort of start naming guys off the top of my head so mm-hmm. obviously Shaq is up there um wilt i'm gonna put wilt bill russell um hakeem elijah tim duncan those are five guys definitively i'm putting above him and kareem. then oh yeah kareem obviously even I, I might even put a guy like moses malone like yeah, I, I would put Moses him. Malone as well. And David Robinson. I think those yeah, would be all the guys. That's, that's eight guys right there. Yeah. Um, and then I think maybe Jokic can slot in at that number nine. Uh, I wouldn't be mad at that. Yeah. I think uh, you're, like, then you're going I put him on the same. Like Patrick Ewing, is that who you're going to say? No, I, I think like Bill Walton would be mm. like that level. I yeah. think Bill Walton, you could also make an argument, would be still about equivalent to Jokic. Not bad. I mean, though, Jokic but... has the back-to-back MVPs, though. That has to that's mean true. a lot. Yeah, so, yeah. I think, yeah, Jogic might be sitting at that number nine slot. Depending on how the rest of his career goes, the highest I could ever see him getting is like maybe six. Really? I think, okay, look, I think forever Bill Russell will remain up there. I think he can surpass Hakeem, David Robinson, and Moses Malone. Okay. I think he could possibly even I think it's real hard to surpass uh, Hakeem, though. He's never going to pass. I I th- I mean, look, Hakeem has two championships, mm-hmm. and he has two what? MVPs. Two MVPs. So we need to see him get at least two more defensive player of the year. Don't forget That's about true. that. So he probably needs to be a four-time NBA champion. Jokic would need to be a four-time NBA champion, which is very hard. That means that this Maybe needs to be a dynasty. Maybe three NBA titles. You know, and then like that... yeah, because I guess all of the assist titles and like the triple double records and all that stuff, uh, we assume. Yoke, yeah, which will hold some of those. So, For sure. I think passing Wilt is going to require just the length of time. I think he's just going to need to get a bunch of those ridiculous records. I think yeah. that's what it takes to surpass Wilt. But I think he also, will never... minor correction, uh, Hakeem also, he's a two time defensive player of the year. So, like, okay, that's you know, even it's, bigger. It's, yeah. It, Anyways, Hakeem is one of the only guys to get the MVP, finals MVP, and defensive player of the year in the same season. Yeah, it's Giannis and Michael Jordan are the only two. Yep. And uh, you know that's a. I think he'll never crowd. surpass Bill Russell, Shaq, or Kareem. I think those are the three guys that are kind of untouchable. I would honestly even put, yeah, I think those maybe guys Will. are maybe Wilt as well, but I think Wilt is more fringe than those guys. Definitely, and especially just because, like, I don't know. Anytime you make comparisons to Wilt and Bill Russell, it's always so hard to it's, do. Because it's impossible. It was, it's a, it's a different game entirely, pretty much different time period. Like, yeah, so many just differences, but. I think I think, I think it's a, yeah, it's a good place. I think we got a lot of good discussion on these NBA finals. Um, I, I guess right, but last thing, rate these finals out of ten, or rate these playoffs out of ten. The playoffs themselves, this first round was one of the most interesting first rounds in a very long time. We had a game seven, a very good, just good series all around. We had the Grizzlies, Lakers was a great series. Uh, even I mean, the Kings, Warriors was great. Uh, in the East, obviously, the Heat, Bucks, that was like just kind of a surprise. That was great. Mm. I'm going to give this postseason as a whole an 8 out of 10. I really uh, think this was a good postseason. I think what was missing for me to make this like a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. Actually, you know, I'm going to revoke that. I'm going to say call 7 out of 10 because I think yeah. the NBA Finals matters so much. And I just think it needed to be longer for me to have given it a better ranking because I think at, to some extent, the rest of the finals kind of gets lost in memory 
And mm-hmm. all you're left with, with is your impression of the NBA Finals. And it wasn't a very striking NBA Finals in some senses. So I'll give it a 7. Yeah, I, I'm going to give it like a 6.5. I think that, you know, like you said, there were some great games in the first round. Um, or great in series, the second sorry. round was good, too. Second round was okay. I mean, like, yeah, you, Lakers-Warriors had a lot of very memorable moments. I think that there were some parts of Sixers-Celtics that I really enjoyed. But, you know, Nuggets-Suns was kind of underwhelming. Like, with the, the yeah. star power matchup we saw there, didn't really um, produce that many exciting games. And then, like, the conference finals were a dud. I'm sorry, but, like, Lakers-Nuggets, like, a complete sweep. Heat go up 3-0. Celtics bring it to game seven where it's not even remotely close. Like, that was just not an enjoyable series to watch. I mean, yes, you had the game six, Derek White, buzzer beater. Like, that was incredible. But that was just a series where you're just waiting for it to be over. You knew that the Celtics were never going to win that. Um, and then the NBA Finals, I agree. It was just a bit underwhelming. Um, and, you know, you wish it would have been more competitive. But, yeah, I'm going to give this one a six. Uh, it was like an okay playoff, but you know, here's hoping to next season is a little bit better or at least yeah. more exciting. Yeah, yeah. But I think we can go from there into like more of a news recap. There's like a few sure. big headlines I think we could touch before we get into the next episode. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the Jaw suspension because we did mention that he Jaw mm-hmm. was officially suspended for 25 games uh, after the video of him flashing the gun came out with his friend in the car. Yeah. Now, do you think this is an appropriate suspension, too short or too long? Honestly, I'm going to – this might be a bit of a controversial take, but I think it's okay. I think it's fine. I think that, you know, this is an adequate amount of time. I mean, you're basically missing, what, a, a fourth of the season. Um, you basically out of contention – due to the new CBA rules, out of contention for all NBA, for any of the awards. So that's obviously going to hurt – and, you know, you're putting it, your team at a significant disadvantage. So in terms of, like, there being negative consequences, I think that it's all there. And then I think there's new news surrounding the John Morant situation that I think sort of lend a little bit to why this suspension was the way that it was. Like, uh, I saw a video that John Morant's team sort of released to the NBA in their internal investigation that showed that the sort of gun that he flashed was actually a lighter. Um, it was like a toy gun. And so... You're shaking your head, no. But no, like, that's not real. No, it is real. Like, I've seen know. the video. But, like, anyways, regardless, the NBA, they obviously don't play around when it comes to their image and these brand deals um, and, and any, anything that could sort of affect that. And I think that, you know, this, is, this will teach Ja his lesson, but I think that anything more would have been overly draconian and just, like, what, what would that have accomplished besides just ruining a great basketball team? You know? Yeah, I think that's a fair perspective. I don't know. I think maybe a little bit longer was appropriate, but I'm not in the, the boat of like he should be suspended for a season or something. I think maybe like 40 games. Like I know that's half a season. That's a long time. But I think that would have also been appropriate punishment. So, yeah, uh, I'm not necessarily opposed to this, but I think it's a little bit loose. Uh, I think the Players Association came out and said this was a far too harsh of a penalty, and they're going to stand with Jaw. I, th- <laughs> I think they, harsh. I think they have to say this just yeah. because it's the Players Association. Um, but I mean, very clearly the NBA was being lenient here. I think they could have gone a lot harsher on the penalty. Um, uh, and like if what you're saying is true and it's a toy gun, I sure makes sense. 
still 25 to 40 games is appropriate because it's not just if it is it a real gun or not. It's the image you're portraying to all the NBA fans. It's the image that is reflected on the NBA itself yeah, and its marketability. 100%. It's, there's there's a lot of monetary implications and a lot of profit that can be lost by those kinds of actions. And the NBA has worked very hard to to get away from an image of like almost like you know a very thug league like yeah. David Stern. David Stern started that. I mean, you know, after Malice in the Palace, the NBA did a, tried really hard to kind of get away from this idea that all the players were gangsters and like, you know, would you know, walking around like, like they're from the hood and like sagging and all that stuff. Like, but they, they really push against that. And I think the NBA has gone to a really great place where players are responsible and they, they're charitable and they help out in their communities. And, you know, they have, mm-hmm. we have awards for that kind of stuff now, even though it's all, you know, kind of BS awards, we have like the Twyman Stokes, you know, like sp- sportsmanship award and the yeah you know the nba cares award they they do that stuff because they want to promote players being equitable and unjust in in their lives mm-hmm. and then john morant does something that very clearly goes against everything the nba has worked for yeah and i think when you put it into perspective i think this is a light penalty but i st- i'm not opposed to this penalty i still think it makes sense but i think hey you could have made it 40 games Sure, it's a light penalty, but I think at the end of the day, the NBA is also a business. And so everything they do is from a business perspective. If it's about cleaning up the image of the league and making it family-friendly, that's a business decision, as well as an ethical one, right? They want to make sure that the game is accessible to families and, and you know feels open and welcome and you know just sort of like G-rated in a sense. But... Uh, you know, if you suspend your best, like uh, a franchise player for a whole season, that's basically losing the Memphis market for an entire year and just leads to a lower quality of basketball. You want John Morant playing basketball. He's one of those guys that just racks up so social media impressions like that because his, he's one of the most electric, exciting players in this league. So I think that the NBA factored that into their uh, decision as well. Everything is calculated. Everything is a business decision. So Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense from that perspective, but I agree. It, it is a balancing act between like, okay, we want to have the best quality of basketball, but we also have to maintain our brand and our image. So I think that the NBA hit an, a decent middle ground, like plus or minus um, 10 games. Like I don't really, uh, I think would have been I think 15 well. would have been way too late. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just plus 10, you know, like, <laughs> plus 10 games. Yeah. If it was like 30, 40 games, I wouldn't have really minded either. But I think once you get past that, when you start talking about suspending them for uh, two thirds or a full season, that's where I start to have issues. I would agree. Moving on to the next big news uh, Michael Jordan selling the Hornets. I think they're listed right now for $3 billion. He bought them for $250 million. So quite yeah. the turnaround in a 13 year time span. He 11 really made... x his money. Yeah, 11 times this money in 13 years. That's pretty damn good. For uh, a franchise that never made it past the first round of the playoffs, never won a series. Yeah, and they're still not in the good position. So that's kind of kind of crazy. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, just thoughts. Do you think Michael Jordan selling the team is the right decision? Do you think it's time to move on from that era? I think it definitely is. I think if you're a, a, a Charlotte basketball fan, you are celebrating this move. You're so happy. Because Michael Jordan, for as great as he was as a player, in my opinion, the best who ever played this game, he was a terrible owner, made a lot of poor moves. Mm-hmm. Um, like, 
you could literally fill up lists of all the bad uh, executive decisions that he made as owner. And you I know, would say there's only two good decisions he made actually, which would be sure, not signing Kemba, yeah. Kemba on the supermax. Yeah, I remember when everyone was talking about, oh, Michael Jordan's not signing Kemba on this big deal. What the hell? You know, what's wrong with him? And that looks like, thank God he did that. Could you imagine if they were stuck with Kemba for two more years for a hundred million dollars? Sure, but then ridiculous. immediately after he does that good move. Signs Gordon Hayward four years. Yeah, I know. One hundred twenty. I'm saying I think the only other good move he made was uh, drafting Lamelo Ball. Sure. Those are the only two decisions he's made that I think were good. I agree, but think of how much like that's two hits out of like a hundred fifty. Yeah, right? I know. So I'm not I, saying I that, uh, that's. Yeah. I'm saying he's bad, but I'm saying let's just go over the two things he did well. Sure, I'm not yeah. saying you highlight just the two things he did well because he did so many things that were bad. I think. I mean, these, these playoffs even go to show like look at what happened. The Hornets waved Caleb Martin, and then he goes to the Heat and, you know, has some incredibly big moments for them. So I think if you're a Charlotte basketball fan, you need to be throwing a parade um, and be happy that new management is coming. They, they need to sweep out the entire management, just flush everyone at this point, because they really need just a full turnover. Everything has I, to change. I fully agree with that. And I think that, you know, it's kind of a win-win for both parties. Like, MJ gets a ton of money, and... Charlotte gets some uh, some fresh faces and some new blood in the organization that can hopefully yep. do a better job of running it. So, yeah, I'm. Uh, I think it's a good move overall, and uh, hopefully, there's a new era in Charlotte. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can move on to the next thing, which is we alluded to it earlier. Bradley Beal, right now, either Phoenix or Miami seem like they're in the running, and the newest news is Golden State as well. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Um, I think that, you know, like this is pretty insane that, in my opinion, Phoenix is in contention for this because you look at their team and what assets do they have? Like, yeah, I don't know. they're talking about like building a deal surrounding um, DeAndre Aiden or CP3. And I'm thinking if a deal is made with like CP3 and Landry Shamit, which is legitimately that's what they offered. That was I what know, they offered. That's legitimately the offer that they made. And if Washington accepts that after <laughs> being like, we're not trading Bradley Beal for the past like five years, and that's finally the deal that they accept, I swear to God, Adam Silver needs to like literally obliterate the Washington Wizards as an organization and relocate them to like Virginia or something. This organization needs to be just destroyed if that deal goes through. Because what the hell? Why would What's they wrong ever with Virginia, that deal? bro? I'm just saying they got they got to move the wizards somewhere else because like clearly there's some sort of money. No, they got to go to Saskatoon, Canada, bro. Uh, that would be better. Like if that deal happens, <laughs> there should never be a basketball organization in the DMV area ever again. Um, yeah, <laughs> but regardless, yeah, this no, is pretty the offer I believe from Miami was Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, and two firsts. Is it really is not than... that big of a market for Bradley Beal? I feel like more. Well, teams no, he should... has a no. He has a no trade clause, so he has to, he he determines where he goes. And I think he's told them he would only be traded to Miami or Phoenix or Golden State as of right now. If the teams ask it. Okay, fair. I mean, sucks that he has that no trade clause because if you're Washington, you basically have to kowtow to yeah, whatever re- Beal wants. Miami was considering offering Tyler Hero, and then Bradley Beal said he would only go to Miami if they didn't offer Tyler Hero. So now that yeah. puts the Wizards in a really bad spot. But this talking, is a really about the, talking about the Warriors here, 
Do you think the Warriors would be offering a Jordan Poole centered package? I mean, we've if that's seen the case, Jordan they might Poole. offer the best package. Yeah, I mean, I think Jordan Poole would clearly be the best guy out of any of those assets that were offered, and I think that Washington would be wise to accept that deal. But I mean, you got to think like if if Washington deals or if Golden State deals Jordan Poole, that's going to be such a just disappointment for Golden State as a whole. Jordan Poole looked so promising in that 2022 run. You know, he had so many huge moments. We were calling him like the third splash brother for like two solid weeks, right? Yeah. And we thought he was really going to be the future of this franchise. And so if he gets dealt, I think that's really going to be uh, just a very unfortunate move overall, uh, even though he had a disappointing year this year. But I mean, look, uh, if you're a Golden State I think you realize that the sort of window is closing for a championship with this core. And if you think about it, like the amount of shooting with Steph, Beal, Clay, the, between those three guys, that's enough to win you a championship right there. And that you could just blow teams out of the water with that core. So I yeah, think Golden I don't know State where the money comes ringing. from, though, for Bradley Beal to get Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole one for thing Bradley I've, Beal doesn't work. One thing I've learned in the NBA is. With the just sheer um, preponderance of three team trades, the money can always work. Like you can always just mm-hmm. find another team to get involved, dump off a contract, you know, swap a few picks to make it work. So uh, as yeah, long as all the teams about... are willing, I think it, it's fine. Yeah, I want to talk about the Wizards though for a second because they're just such a questionable organization. Every single move they make it makes no sense. Like think about this: they're finally looking at trading Kristaps Porzingis. Kyle Kuzma has a player option. He's definitely going to decline and look for his money. And Bradley Beal is on the trade block. So they're blowing it up after last year saying they want to keep that core together. And they trade away their only good young piece or one of their only good young pieces in Rui Hachimura for Kendrick Nunn and three second round picks. So you're basically getting nothing in return for a very young, promising player. All you have left really is Denny Avdia, Corey Kispert, and Daniel Gafford, assuming you're trading away Kyle Kuzma, Kristaps, and, and Bradley Beal. And yes, if you trade Kristaps to Portland, you get the number three overall pick. That's a big change. But you've made so many mistakes. You could still have a Rehachimura. You could have never wanted to keep Bradley Beal for this long and probably could have gotten a better deal for him before he had the new trade clause. I don't know what their obsession with keeping Kristaps Porzingis was, and now they lose Kyle Kuzma for nothing. Yep, it's um, a bit of a disaster in Washington. And I feel like they haven't had a clear direction or goal for the past 10 years. since. since like, no, since John Wall left. Since, since John the John Wall Beal era where they were actually a, a competitive team in the East, you know, giving those Cavalier teams a run for their money. Like that was the last time we saw the Wizards look like a competent organization. Since then, it's just been a bit of a dumpster yeah. fire. This like, might sound crazy, but I think that was only like five years ago. 2018. Like 2018. Yeah. No, I, think I, that don't, was, I don't think John, I think I that was think when John Wall got injured. Um, maybe so. Regardless, like the 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 the, the takeaway from that is like the Wizards have not been competent in a long time. I think that the best thing for Washington right now would try to be to get that number three overall pick. Um, if that is possible, because, okay, Portland would be, oh, sorry, um, sorry, um, 
Sorry, I just want to move on to the the other reports are that if Portland does decide to hold on to that pick, Damian Lillard will finally start pressing for a, a trade. I think yeah. that is the rumored rumored as of right now, which look, I think it's finally time. If they decide to go young, it's time to Clearly, move Washington blowing this up is the right decision. They should have done it earlier, though. I agree with you. Um, but, yeah, I think that if you're Washington right now, you got to maybe try and get promising young players like a Tyler Hero, Jordan Poole, or shoot up in the draft a lot. So that's that's what's got to happen um, if you're Washington. And then I think all these other teams just got to try and, like, get Beal um, for the, the lowest price because he's a real contributor. Um, and I think that his just offensive shot creation and, and three-point shooting can elevate teams and get them over the hump um, for, for a lot of teams. Um, Except I guess we, the thing I don't understand is for Phoenix. I don't think that provides yeah, any help to Phoenix. I, agree. I do want to talk for a second about this because sure. we just talked about how super teams don't work. You need chemistry. You need role players. If Phoenix already has no role players, that was their biggest issue this postseason. They had no depth and their players had no continuity together. And that mm-hmm. was just blown out of the water by the Nuggets. If you get Bradley Beal, you literally your bench is going to be the 2018 Cavaliers bench, like equivalent. It may be even worse than that. You'll have to bring in like uh, Vince Carter, um, Lou Williams, um, <laughs> who retired Jeff- by the way, Richard Jefferson, JJ. Lou Reddick, Williams announced your- his retirement. That's what I'm saying. Like all these yeah, guys bro, who JJ Reddick's gonna come back. He's gonna be like, I think I could provide some help. No, but yeah, like exactly. I, this is very reminiscent of a Brooklyn Nets because you know you have two guards and Kevin Durant, two very skilled guards and Kevin Durant, but it's just worse because now you have no no Nick Claxton. You have no Seth Curry. You have no Joe Harris. You have no Bruce Brown. All the they, that was a great team with good role players. Yeah. Now you take this team, like, who do you have? Tory Craig? Is that your like literally your only role player? T.J. Warren, like yeah. Josh Akogi. Like these are the guys we're going to be relying on. And I, I think some of those Lee? guys are like free agents too. Like it's yeah. not looking great. No, no. We're going to bring back Bismack Biombo. Is that going to be your starting center? Like, yeah. So hopefully Phoenix does not pull the trigger on that because they need to learn their lesson and take notes from the Denver Nuggets that these very like top heavy moves do not work in the long run. So, I mean, it was all, I think they should have already learned their lesson on the Kevin Durant trade in some senses, but he's look at what Mikel Bridges is doing. now. Yeah. And like just Cam Johnson is just such a consistent guy for you. Um, But yeah, I think we can move on from there and, and, because uh, we can talk more about this Beal trade when it, when and if it finally goes through. Uh, and let's finally just talk about a couple coaching hires um, because all the head coaching slots have been filled up, and these are some of the most notable ones. I just want to get your quick thoughts on them, Hunter. Mm-hmm. So the first one is uh, Monty Williams, who you know we just talked about uh, with the Phoenix Suns, is going to be coaching Detroit now. So how do you feel about him like being the wow. sort of mentor figure for Cade Cunningham? See, the thing is, I don't know that I like that. My mm. reasoning behind this is I don't know that Monty Williams is a good player development coach because we saw he had good young talent and a guy like Mikhail Bridges, who I was just talking about. And Mikhail Bridges, Bridges obviously was never the number one option. He was a role player. He was fulfilling his job. But as soon as he gets out of that system, he starts flourishing and looks like he could be a potential all-star. So I, I don't know that he has proven himself as a good player development guy. So I, I, I'm not going to say that's a bad coaching hire because I, I don't know Monty Williams' history 
and you know his past experience in, in player development and I'm sure Detroit has good reasons for hiring him because you know NBA organizations are still competent at the end of the day. Um, so I'm not going to call this a good hire because I really don't know that he's a good player development coach, but I'm not going to be against it until I see him fail. Sure. Um, I'm a little bit in the same boat. I actually am more positive on this move. I think that Money Williams, just from a pure basketball, like X and O's perspective, is like up there with the best. Um, yeah. And so I think like developing a system where your players can really thrive in um, like you can have Katie Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, these sorts of guys start to just develop by playing in a, a well-organized and structured system. I think that's going to provide a lot of benefit to Detroit. And so I'm overall fan of this move. I think it's kind of like the, the talent over fit discussion we talk about in the NBA draft, but from a coaching perspective, I think you go with talent here and Monty Williams is the most talented guy available. Yeah. And um, I'll ask you about the last coach here. What do you think of Frank Vogel to the Phoenix Suns? Uh, actually, I'm okay about it. I think that, you know, look, Frank Vogel is a very defensively minded coach. And I think that the personnel he, he wants usually is around, um, for that in the sense that like those Lakers teams, right. And even those Pacers teams before had a lot of very defensively oriented players on the roster. And so he had a lot of room to work with. And those teams were built off of having these defensive schemes first. And that led to like transition offense and that's sort of how the offense was derived but i think that with this phoenix team right you have a lot of very offensively minded players in kevin durant in devin booker even guys like tj warren right these are guys who are looking to score first and not really um like compete on the defensive end of the court and so i'm like very ambivalent on this move i don't really see it having a very high upside but i also don't see it having a very low floor I think that if anything, he's going to help them like improve their defense a lot, which I think was a big weakness for the Suns team. But this just seems like a move from the front office where it's like, okay, our defense sucks. We don't have the capabilities to get, or we don't have the want to get better defensive players because we're shopping for Bradley Beal for some reason. So we're just going to hire a defensively minded coach and hopefully he fixes everything. I think there's a little bit of that, but I also think Frank Vogel is a great manager of personalities. We look at who he's coached. He's coached LeBron and Anthony Davis, very big personalities. He And he managed that, and that led to a championship. And he's also managed Paul George. So I think he has the capability to to work with guys who kind of know that they're all bad and don't necessarily want to listen to a coach who hasn't played ball before. I disagree. I disagree. I mean, just look at what happened when he had Russell Westbrook, an actually like adversarial, adversarial kind of player. That's he lost true. the locker room. He lost the locker room, and that ended up – resulting in the front office, you know, deciding to part ways with them. And so I think that, you know, when you have a guy like Kevin Durant, who we know at least, like, obviously this is Twitter, but, like, this guy who's not afraid to sort of speak out, you know. So <laughs> imagine, like, he starts, like, KD starts losing faith in him. Like we saw with Steve Nash, right? And that's a guy that's a very venerated former two-time MVP, and he couldn't even get the respect of a guy like Kevin Durant. So if Frank Vogel isn't able to sort of, make this work and to get the respect of his players. Honestly, I could see his tenure in Phoenix being cut very short. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I also think, like, I do like the defensive mind of Frank Vogel. I think he could provide a lot of a lot of good advice to these guys who aren't necessarily defensive-minded and buy, have them buy into a good defensive structure, because I think a lot of defense is just buying in. I mean, Miami, those guys, not don't have the physical tools, 
not all of them do, but they still make it work. And I think you just have to get, have guys who buy into it. And I think Frank Vogel is the right guy to make people buy into defense. But I think the thing with Miami is like, look, Eric Spolstra is one of the best, if not the best coach in the NBA. And what he does to mitigate the sort of defensive weaknesses he, he has is he has this zone defense that, you know, allows um, other players to cover for, you know, other people's weaknesses. And I think that's like a very hard system mm-hmm. to pull off. And I don't know if Frank Vogel could do that. Um, and that also requires full commitment from the players. Um, and that's because all the players in Miami, they respect and they sort of heed Spolstra's words. I don't know if the same can be said in, in Phoenix. We'll have to just wait and see, I guess. I think, yeah, we also have to see how the, this roster fills out because I think Frank Vogel also operates well with when there's a lot of guard pressure. Sure. Uh, like when his guards can force a lot of pressure and when he has good bigs to block the rim. So, Don't be surprised if uh, the, the Suns sign Avery Bradley and he dude, starts on this team. I would. How old is Avery Bradley? Like, <laughs> bro, he's got to be like forty, man. Look this up because I, I feel like, dude, Avery okay, Bradley. He, dude, he's thirty-two. <laughs> sign this man. Sign this man. No, to do not sign this dude, man. Why okay. is Avery Bradley not in the NBA? Legitimately, th- th- there's a reason for that. I'm. Let me tell you, because you are blinded by your love for Avery Bradley, just like Frank Vogel. He is not a good NBA player. There's a reason oh, why he's going to be in Taiwan with Dwight Howard. Okay, and yeah, dude, what's what's Avery all. Bradley doing right now? We can, dude, we can use this man on the Lakers. <laughs> no, we could not. All right, I think that's a good place to call it before we get into the Avery Bradley Lakers um, rerun. But yes, anyways. please, please bring back Avery Bradley. This is my <laughs> ask to uh, please Rob Palinka. He's only anyways. 32, man. All right. We're going <laughs> to cut it right there. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Apologies for, you know, the late episode. We had a lot going on, but we were able to, you know, really dive deep into these playoffs and just give a good recap on the season. So mm-hmm. make sure you stay tuned throughout the summer. We're going to be covering the off season from the NBA draft to the summer league to all the free agency moves that happen. So, Make sure you stay tuned. Um, And yeah, we'll see you all on the next one. Take care. Peace.